I believe in, in diversifying. I believe that you should have um, different options, that you're never a slave to one government. As we've seen in Canada, a lot of folks were very trusting of Canada, a lot of trusting of the U.S. and Australia. Look at how they've been treated in the last two years. And so Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcade Economics and a fun call for you today. Tonight, my time. We have Andrew Henderson, the nomad capitalist, who's going to talk about a lot of things that I know are on a lot of people's minds, especially after seeing what happened recently in Canada, what some people have seen happening for a long time in the U.S. Really, uh, you know, obviously we've always seen the taxes can go up. They don't come down quite as often, but really just the escalation of a lot of the government policies that certainly led me to leave, was at least a big part of the reason led me to leave the U.S. and down here in Mexico now. So exciting to have someone who's an expert in some of those things. I learned a couple of tips throughout this one. And before we dig in, I just wanted to mention that tonight's call was sponsored by Silver Viper, Silver Viper Minerals. You've seen Steve Cope on the show. And again, certainly in this environment, we've seen a little bit of this already with some of the bigger companies looking for new projects as gold and silver getting more difficult to find. So Silver Viper is a Canadian-based junior minerals exploration company. I think they certainly have great management in place. And uh, again, you can see some of the calls with Steve on the show or check out silverviperminerals.com. And with that said, here is today's call with Andrew Henderson of the Nomad Capitalist. Tonight, it's exciting to have a new guest on the show who is Andrew Henderson, the Nomad Capitalist, especially with a lot of people seeing what's happening where sometimes bank accounts, not as safe as we might have thought. Certainly Canadians got a rather harsh reminder of that earlier this year. And especially as a former American born citizen, I, Actually, leaving to Mexico was my second time leaving the U.S. I was concerned when I left Wall Street in 2012, left to Europe, um, now left to Mexico. And certainly there's a lot of things I probably could have done a lot easily, more cost effective. And, and since I get messages from other people who have those same questions, it's quite a pleasure to have you on in here, Andrew. Uh, you are the master in this field, so great to have great you here. You. And uh, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you. Well, perhaps to start, um, maybe you could give people a bit of a quick background on a rundown on your background, some of the experience you have, and then maybe we could get into some simple things that people could think about that actually could at least give them a roadmap to get started if they are looking to move somewhere and do it in the right way. Yeah, I mean, I got a great permission slip as a kid to go where you're treated best. That's what my uh, my parents told me. And so I uh, took advantage of that for starting um couple of businesses in the US. Um, I ended up selling those off and um, I started a period of exploration. I was traveling uh, for a number of years rather frequently and I was exploring the fact that uh, different countries are better at different things. Uh, things work better in other countries. Interest rates are higher in certain countries. Uh, you know, real estate returns are higher. Uh, women want to talk to you more in other countries, whatever. I mean, uh, and I said to myself, okay, I want to live a lifestyle where I, I travel around the world and I take in the best that it has to offer. And so for about a dozen years, I've done that, uh, close to a dozen years. And I've been studying and kind of setting up my, my flags around the world, as it were, where I don't want everything to be based in one country. And so um, 
for about 10 years now, we've been writing and talking about my experiences doing that, uh, my quest to obtain multiple passports, multiple residences, bank accounts, brokerage accounts, investments around the world. And so I've done that. We share information about that with people um, in our book, on our YouTube, on our website, uh, at our conference. And I believe in, in diversifying. I believe that you should have um, different options, that you're never a slave to one government. As we've seen in Canada, a lot of folks were very trusting of Canada, a lot of trusting of the US and Australia. Look at how they've been treated in the last two years. And so we've been helping some of those folks get their second passport, for example. So now they have options. They don't have to listen to Justin Trudeau if they don't want to. They get to leave. They have a place to go. Um, they have money somewhere else. That's what Nomad Capitalist uh, is all about. Well, that makes a lot of sense and certainly a handy skill to have at this particular point in time. And let's say uh, we'll start in Canada. Let's say someone's a little concerned about that. I get people asking me about Mexico and I know a lot of people talk about Puerto Rico, a whole bunch of other destinations. What are some of the ones, obviously it's going to be different for each person, right. but perhaps in the warm weather zones, what are some of the top places that people ask about that they have success going to? Well, I think we should get crystal clear on what it is that someone's trying to accomplish, right? You can say, I want to have a backup plan, but I'm going to stay in Canada. And I hear that a lot. Um, you know, if things get bad enough, I don't know. I mean, I've been watching this for 25 years. Things haven't gotten much worse over 25 years. I mean, it seems like they're probably pretty bad enough. But some people just say, you know what? Let me go and open a bank account overseas. So that's probably not going to be where you're going to want to live. Banking in Panama is a pain. Banking in Mexico, not a great idea if you have a lot of money. So I would look at, you know, do I have a smaller amount of money and I want more user friendliness? Maybe I'm looking at Georgia or Armenia. If I want higher interest rates and I want to be a little bit closer to home, maybe I'm looking at Ecuador. If I've got a lot of money, you know, I'll start looking at banks in, you know, there's, there's a select number of good private banks in the UK, Switzerland, Liechtenstein, not a lot, but a select number, Singapore. Um, so that's maybe where I want to put my money. If I want a brokerage account, I can do that in a number of places overseas. If I want to invest, maybe I want to buy a property somewhere else. Well, that obviously, you know, could be a property in a place like Istanbul, where you can, it can lead to citizenship. Um, pretty quickly. It may be in a place where you want to live, which obviously is highly selective. Um, you know, so I think that there's so many different aspects of your life. The goal here is not that we're going to pick one new country and move there. When my father first started talking to me about this stuff back in the mid 90s, and he saw the writing on the wall that has, has come true today. Back then, the idea was you could not arbitrage as much as you could today. Hey, let's go to New Zealand. That seems like a better place to go. Um, and we didn't ultimately do that. But now in 2022, you don't have to simply move everything to New Zealand. So I think Latin America offers a lot of great immigration opportunities for Canadians in that if you have a salary in Canada or if you own a business, chances are your income is high enough to qualify for what most Latin American countries have in terms of residence programs, which is a, a salary-based or an income-based program from a pension, from a, from a social security check, um, from a job, whatever, they can be very flexible. So if you make anywhere from 800 to $3,000 a month US, you can go and get residence in quite a number of, of Latin, Central and South American countries. But are you gonna do everything else there? And my answer is probably not. If you're running a business, you're not gonna incorporate in Costa Rica, even though it may be a good lifestyle place and it may be a good personal tax destination. You're gonna go incorporate somewhere else that works with Costa Rica and that they respect that that's not under their jurisdiction to tax. So I think that um, the question to ask yourself is, am I looking to back up my assets to just have some diversification? You know, That's not gonna be in Latin America. 
but Latin America may be a place where you move to have the same time zones, um, to be close to home, to have maybe a similar culture. Mexico is kind of the closest thing to the United States that they can probably find um, in many ways. So it's about understanding what you're doing. Yeah, and that's interesting, especially you mentioned the culture where let's say we leave the finances aside for a moment. Sure. Certainly I've been experiencing Mexico, obviously a lot of different parts and there's different culture depending on where you go there. For someone uh, perhaps like myself or a Canadian or American where they're looking for someplace, again, leaving the money aside, but just where there's less, all right, there's going to be someone trying to force you with their particular COVID policy or just the less of the intrusive day today. I found that's one of the things nice about my experiences in Mexico that it's easier to, to just not feel as hassled. There's not like a SWAT team or, you know, a, when you see someone get a speeding ticket, you know, like three or four yeah. troopers where it's just, it feels like very uncomfortable at times. So from that perspective, where are some places people might want to consider? Uh, like everywhere. I mean, in all honesty, I call this soft freedom, right? I mean, people in the U.S., for example, would always say, well, we have the Constitution. Now, forget the fact that they don't follow it anymore and nobody no, seems to no. care about the rule of law and they just take people's stuff of all stripes with impunity and then they give it to some good cause and they people treat them like heroes. That's not the rule of law. That's, that's a thugocracy. But, um, you know, the soft freedom is where you just feel a difference. The one place where I've really felt like they were kind of hassling me was in Bangkok in Thailand. I know a lot of people like Bangkok. I'm not trying to change anyone's mind. If you like it, I'm happy for you. Um, but I felt that they that was the one place overseas where the soft freedom didn't really exist. Um, you know, maybe, maybe China has become worse. I used to spend a lot of time in China. Uh, so perhaps that's changed. But, you know, I mean, you go to Central America, people are generally leaving you alone. You, the other region in the last couple of years that's been pretty open is Eastern Europe. Now, none of these places are perfect, but I think what people do is they say, well, it's not perfect, I might as well stay here. But when you evaluate the idea of soft freedom and you realize that you really don't get hassled, I walk around in, in Asia, for example, where I'm at now, and I just don't get bothered. And even during some of the most aggressive times uh, that I've been here over the last you know, near, nearly a decade, nobody really bothers you. They just don't. And so to me, that's a benefit that you can't really see until you experience it. It's not written somewhere in a constitution, but it's just part of the more laid back culture. You know, when we do citizenship by investment for folks, they've got to disclose every arrest, every criminal conviction, every everything as part of the due diligence process. And what do we see from Americans? I, uh, I urinated next to a police car when I was 19 years old. That's on the list. And I've got a team in Serbia and other countries in that region. And they laugh their heads off when they see this because they're like, yeah, we do st stupid stuff like that here. No one ever takes us into jail, books us, sends us to the whole court process and makes a big to-do of it and then publishes it in the newspaper. Like what's wrong with you guys? That like everything is so formal, you know? Um, you know, obviously if you kill someone, you're coming to jail. But if you, you know, if you urinate in a bush, you know, they're going to say, listen, I right, get out of here. Um, and so I think that pretty much everywhere, quite frankly, outside of the Western world, and even probably in some Western European countries, it's kind of intermediate. The US, Canada, Australia are some of the most aggressive on planet Earth. And I, and I don't know how to show people that until they get out and see it. Yeah, that I, I appreciate you mentioning that because it's one of the things people don't think about yet 
it's it's sad that I feel that way about America where I grew up. Yet it's you notice and it, and it's tangible and and worth at least for me. There's some monetary component I'm worth willing to pay for just to have that peace of mind. Uh, so I appreciate you sharing and touching on that. What would you say in terms of how you mentioned before the capital flight, which is something that I think there's mixed perspectives. People who've always worked for a corporation see it one way, but certainly, you know, especially for me going through the entrepreneurial process the last couple of years, all of a sudden when you see what it goes through to be in the position where you're creating jobs or have to do this, usually of which government is not anywhere to be found helping in any manner, and now we see the way inflation and all these other economic conditions are building. And I've wondered if we won't see more capital flight out of the U.S., unfortunately. But obviously, you've seen that in a variety of places. What are you expecting there? Well, listen, I'm not in this bandwagon where the U.S. is going to collapse into a puddle tomorrow. I know some people would like to see that, but that's just not the reality. What I think you're going to see is marginal increases in people like myself uh, who leave the country and people who even give up their citizenship because the U.S. is, at least for now, the only country that does track you around the world and regulate your business, enforce taxes on you. There's ways to dramatically reduce them, if not eliminate them being overseas. Um, so, so don't think that you can't save money by moving. Um, but, you know, people are, are leaving. And I think that that trend is accelerating. You have a long they don't necessarily keep waiting lists, but you've got a long de facto waiting list at a lot of embassies around the world, people trying to get out. It's just too much. And you've seen over the last couple of years that they've used the excuse of the pandemic to provide other services to their embassies, but not provide the service of letting you exit your own country uh, and to get out of the mess. And you've seen people who created great fortunes in the last couple of years that now, uh, even if they were living overseas, they're stuck with. Here's my perspective, right? The US and other legacy brand countries don't think they need to compete. They have a great marketing campaign. They have songs written about them. The movie industry is there. I mean, they think that they just always have a captive audience. And yet, you know, I go overseas. I do business all around the world. A couple of years ago, we got invited to be on a panel uh, about hiring in Serbia. Um, and then more recently, we got uh, some people from the government reached out to us. The prime minister of Serbia uh, issued us basically like a commendation for creating great paying jobs. Now, I don't have a thousand employees. I've got about 24 employees. They are pretty well-paying jobs for Serbia and for anywhere. But you know, I never got that in the US. Nobody ever reached out to me, not the mayor, not the governor, not anyone. And here I have the prime minister who's reaching out. If I wanna to talk to people, I probably could. Um, I'm not you know, someone who gets in with the government, but I mean, that's accessibility. They're a small country. And I suppose, you know, well, well you know, no place is perfect. They at least realize, you know what? We have to fight. We have to bring people in. We've got to do deals. We can't just sit, you know, lie back and wait for it to happen. It's a very different perspective. And so when you have that mentality, Adam Carolla is coming and speaking at, at our conference, uh, Nomad Capitalist Live this year. He talks about California. And I think California could be the United States, could be maybe even Canada. It's, it's the, the cheerleader in high school who, you know, keeps doing the same, like thinks that it's, it's going to last forever, right? Doesn't pivot. Right, it's it's not like the cheerer becomes you know an engineer. Uh, it's just she keeps doing the same stuff, right? And, and not to pillory all the cheerleaders, but you get the, the the archetype that I'm talking about. And it's like, yeah, eventually that kind of doesn't work anymore. You have to pivot, or it's just not going to work. And so I uh, I think that Western governments have been so spoiled for so long. When you and I were born, there was no competition. Um, Malaysia wasn't a thing. 
Colombia was, you know, had, had, had Pablo Escobar. I mean, you wouldn't go to these places then, but you would go to them now. Serbia, another example. Armenia, another example. Georgia was, you know, the USSR. Now it's just as free of an economy as the United States. And so, you know, I think that countries in the Western world are going to have to adapt to the fact that they've got a heck of a lot more competition than they did when you and I were born. And they're not doing a very good job so far because they don't like it. Yeah, interesting. You mentioned Georgia. My friend Dan, who actually, I, I guess, was your client, he's done quite mm. well over there in Georgia. So um, I've, I've seen a bit about that. In terms of the gold and silver, anything, uh, especially people that have gold and silver, obviously, there's a variety of ways of holding it. Some people have physical, obviously, there are storage facilities, but that's a big topic that a lot of the folks who watch our show are interested on so anything you can touch on there well listen i understand the aspect of holding some physical gold and silver and i think that's fine i'm a big believer in owning real estate in other countries both for investment opportunities and both for a place that you can live in so if you have a property whether you live there one month a year one week a year or half a year uh listen build in a safe put some gold and silver in there make that part of your your uh, escape plan. And I think people who have a home somewhere else that they're comfortable with are more likely to leave, quote unquote, when things get bad, if they're not leaving now, make physical metals part of that. Um, I also think certainly you've got great vaults, primarily in places like Asia. Zurich is more expensive, but you know those are some of the best areas to store gold. And you can do that. People can pick up the gold and silver at your house and they can move it for you generally more cheaply than selling it and buying it back. If you think, by the way, just a couple of days ago, the 89th anniversary of the uh, executive order taking gold. So, uh, you know, if you're concerned about that kind of stuff, I wouldn't want to have it all in one country. I would want to have it spread out around either my own foreign property or properties or put in foreign vaults. Um, you know, I wouldn't want to put it in the banking system for Americans and others that could be reportable. You know, generally not a great idea if you're into gold to put it into the banking system, like, you know, don't get a bank safe deposit box at some foreign bank and then put it in there because now that gold is legally reportable for Americans. But I think that, you know, and, and then there's the, the issue of capital gains as you see more reporting requirements possibly coming in any kind of tangible asset in the Western world. What happens when you sell it? What happens if it goes up in value? How does that connect with the tax man? And so anyone who owns an appreciating asset or what they think is an appreciating asset should be looking at a tax residence in another country. I don't care if it's gold, Bitcoin, or a business um, that you know you want to get out and settle your tax bill before your assets start dramatically appreciating. All that said, you know, if I have gold and silver, what does that show me? I don't trust my government. I don't trust their money. I want options. I don't. I mean, I think it's a start. I don't think it's enough. I think second residence, second citizenship, maybe maybe multiple. You know, a home somewhere else. You know, even if it's a thousand bucks, a bank account somewhere else in a small country that gives me a fund I can start over, I can pay a bill from. If something happens, I can, I can function for a while. I, I don't want to stop at that level of diversification. I built extreme diversification geographically in my life because I don't trust uh, these countries. Some I trust more than others. I certainly never trusted the United States. And if you've bought gold and silver, to me, that's an indication you don't trust them either. You want to have more than just, I have some metals that I can play with. You want to have further options. Yeah, and Andrew, for people who are hearing that and that makes sense, what is a starting point? Obviously, it's a lot to think about, which yeah. I think often the, the challenges people can get overwhelmed. What's a good starting place for people who want to find out more about that process? 
here's my what I suggest is the starting point. I think it costs 11 bucks. Go and buy the book, Nomad Capitalist. It's on Amazon. It's a couple of other places now, but you can get it on Amazon. You're not going to have a personal strategy that you would pay five figures to create from an $11 book, but you are going to get a lot of ideas. You're going to hear what's not possible. You're going to hear what is possible. You're probably going to hear some common offshore misconceptions that you've seen on TV or in a movie uh, debunked. You're going to hear some interesting stories that perhaps you can connect with. A lot of people who've been successful working with us have started with the book. You can go and watch, you know, 1800 YouTube videos or read 1600 blog posts. We've put that content together over the last 10 years. But I think in terms of aggregating it into one place, you can kind of get the vibe and decide if this is for you or not. I would start with the book. Then I would dive into the free content. And if in what we do, you know, after all that is we work with seven, eight, nine figure entrepreneurs and investors. We help people create custom plans that span sometimes seven or eight different jurisdictions that no one else can do that. I've built these contacts and I've built an in-house team over the last number of years um, that's not easy to build. And so we help people do that. It's at nomadcapitalist.com. Um, but certainly I think the best place to start is, is the 300 and some page book just to kind of get the feel. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I think that that is a great starting point, especially uh, sometimes just aggregating all that information in one right. place so someone can decide what's right for them. And Andrew, perhaps before we wrap up, could you let folks know where they can find you, the website, and uh, just read more about the services that you offer if they are looking for help with that? Yeah, so the website with information on our services and, and the ability to get started, as well as those blog articles is nomadcapitalist.com. The YouTube channel is uh, youtube.com slash nomadcapitalist, very simple. Uh, the book is Nomad Capitalist, there it is. The book is Nomad Capitalist on Amazon. Uh, and I guess we're, we're so many places, podcasts on uh, Apple. Uh, so lots of different places to find us. Yeah, and I might add, certainly it's some nice images there, uh, seeming very free as opposed to uh, certain other things we've seen earlier this year. But I did have two friends, to one friend who was just learning about silver, and she had been through your program and was asking me about it and led me to find my friend Dan, who had also gone through there. So yeah. I have heard great things about what you're doing. I appreciate that you're sharing this experience with people because it is something that's on a lot of people's minds now. So thanks for joining me and uh, appreciate what you're doing out there. And I'll look forward to staying, staying in touch and following your success. My pleasure. All right. Well, thank you, Andrew. And thank you to everybody else for being here and watching today's show. Thank you also to Silver Viper who brought us this show and has also just released their pre PDAC mining showcase. So if you'd like to find out more about Silver Viper, what they're doing, um, again, another chance to see Steve Cope speak, which I guess what attracted me to him uh, initially was when he came to the first Silverfest and just hearing how he approaches things, makes decisions, uh, certainly his body of knowledge. Uh, then even seeing some of the advanced uh, silver mining stock investors in our audience also learning from him. And uh, again, just from the folks I've been around, was quite impressed and quite proud to have him as one of the sponsors for our show. So Again, the link to Silver Viper Minerals in the description field below. And I thank you for being here and I will see you again tomorrow. Mm -hmm.